Here we go, here we go. We're about to land. Can you believe it? Just 24 weeks in 2020, we've been preaching through the book of Mark. We're about to land it in this message. I mean, this is a, this is a big moment, half the year, right? Uh, in the book of Mark. And, uh, and we're going to be, I'll get there in a second, but let me, before we jump in, let me ask you this question. What is the most foundational question in your life? What is the question that you live from? I mean, you, you, you drill down and you go through layer after layer after layer to the deepest part, when, the source of where you live from. What is the fundamental question that you ask when you make the big decisions of your life? I think many in our culture would, would ask, am I happy? Is this making me happy? This relationship, this, this job, this whatever it may be, will this make me happy? Uh, for some, maybe ask, am I good? At the end of the day, when I put my head on my pillow, had I, have, have the good that I've done outweigh the bad that I've done? And have I, when you put it all together, is it slightly better than most people, right? Uh, that, that's where you want to kind of work out where you fit in, right? Am I good? For some, many today, I think, am I being true to myself? Am I being true to who I really am? Uh, all of those questions um, are, are, are popular, I think, in our culture. But Christianity asks a different foundational question. And today we're going to look in Mark at the most foundational question, I think, within Christianity. As I said, we're landing our 24-week journey in 2020 through the book of Mark. Uh, we, we are halfway through the book of Mark. Mark is 16 chapters. We are in chapter 8 today. We've gone 24 weeks through these chapters. And today we, we reach the pivotal moment, if you will, the linchpin uh, in the book of Mark. Uh, so far we've seen in eight chapters three years of Jesus' life. Next year, we do another eight chapters, eight days. Three years, eight days. Everything, something switches in this moment we're about to jump in to right now. And so I hope you're excited. Uh, We're going to look at two short stories, two short stories that make one powerful truth as we land um, our journey through 24 weeks in the book of Mark. And our big idea today is that Jesus himself opens our eyes to see him as the capital O one that he truly is. Jesus himself opens our eyes to see him as the capital O. I say capital because I realize it's all in caps and you don't, you, the, the emphasis is lost on uh, the O, the emphasis. I know that. Um, right, okay, so are we ready? Where are we? Just a quick recap because it's been 24 weeks. Where are we in the story of Mark? Eight chapters out of 16. So far, no one in the story has identified Jesus as the Messiah. No one knows yet who Jesus is. Uh, Everyone's got an opinion of who Jesus is. The religious leaders, they think Jesus is evil. They see him as a threat to their own power. Um, the Herod himself, he, he, he's, he's the king and, and he's a little bit threatened by Jesus. He's also a little bit provoked in terms of his conscience. Many of the crowds think of Jesus as a kind of like a turbo rabbi, right? There's all the other rabbis. Then there's this turbo rabbi Jesus. That's who many of the crowds think of Jesus. His family, they think he's a lunatic. Although, I put the comma in there, they do come around in the future, which is remarkable. No human being has recognized Jesus for who he is. Only Mark, the author, has revealed it. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, he reveals it. God the Father at Jesus' baptism speaks about it. Even the demons recognize Jesus, uh, who he is. In chapter 1, chapter 3, and chapter 5, they identify Jesus as the Holy One of God, the Son of God, and the Son of the Most High God. But no human being has yet worked out who Jesus is in the story. And we come to Mark chapter 8, verse 22. We're going to read together uh, 
you can, if you can see up there, I know I'm, I realize I'm blocking all of you guys, but open up your smartphones, switch off all your notifications so you don't get uh, distracted, and uh, follow along. Chapter, tw- chapter 8, verse 22, as we read to verse 23. It started raining. Oh, come inside a little bit over here. There's an open spot here. There's another spot there, another spot there, another spot there. If you, if you, don't get wet. Or enjoy the rain if you like. No pressure. We've got to just roll with it, eh, guys? This is, uh, this is fun, man. It's close, this is closer to what church was like, I think, in Jesus' time, you know, than what it was before. Or what it was before in the school. Take a second. Get yourself comfortable. No one, yeah. Come sit right here, Emma, under my nose. <laughs> Okay, there we go. Are we good to go? We're fine. Okay, chapter 8, verse 22. And they, this is Jesus and the disciples, came to Bethsaida. And some of the people brought to him a blind man, and they begged him to touch him. So they arrive in a fishing village, and Jesus and his disciples are accosted by a group of people. They're bringing with them a man who's blind. And Jesus takes the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid hands on him, and he asked him, do you see anything? Now, it's a little bit unorthodox. It's not very COVID-friendly, but not unprecedented in Jesus' day, that whole spitting on the eyes thing. That's happened before in some of the um, circles as I read commentaries about this. Um, Verse 24, and he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees that are walking. And Jesus laid hands on him on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly, and he sent him home, saying, do not even enter the village. And then verse 27, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell anyone about him. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this pivotal moment in the Gospel of Mark, we ask that you would speak to each of us personally. Would you, just as you sit there, your eyes are closed, make that your prayer. God, speak to me personally from your word today. Show me something of my belief in Jesus. Wherever you are on your faith journey, you pray that prayer. Jesus, speak to me. Show me something of who you are today. I want to see you more clearly. Amen. Our big idea is Jesus opens our eyes to see him as the one that he truly is. And, and, and behind that, couched in that, is this idea that faith in Christ is both a journey and a moment. Faith in Christ is both a journey and a moment. You see, the, for the disciples, it was a journey to bring them to this place where there was the moment where they could see and their eyes were open. This moment where faith came. Jesus had been with them for three years now. All the whilst was a journey of discovery before this moment. And their eyes are open and they can see Christ as faith comes to them. And all the whilst Jesus has progressively been showing them more of who he is to bring them to this point of faith, this journey which culminates in faith in a moment. But then this moment that kickstarts the greatest journey of discovery of who Jesus really is as well. It's exactly what Mark has been doing. Mark has been progressively, chapter by chapter, story by story, trying to reveal more of who Jesus is to us in order to bring us to this very point where we can see clearly who Jesus in is. Sorry, that's what Mark has been doing. Mark has taken eight chapters to get us to the point where we can realize Jesus is the Son of God who has come as our Savior King. 
So let's go back and see how Mark brings us to this point in verse 23. A blind man is brought to Jesus by a group of people. It doesn't say that they were his friends, doesn't give us much detail about who they are, but it's basically just a group of people bringing along this blind man to Jesus. And then they bring the blind man to Jesus. Then Jesus now takes the leadership, and he, Jesus, took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the village. And when he had spat on his eyes, he laid hands on him and he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Jesus laid his hands on him again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored. My first point is that Jesus progressively opens our eyes to see him. Emphasis on the word progressively. This is the only miracle in all the gospels that happens in stages. In fact, Matthew and and Luke, in their gospels, they leave this miracle out. I think maybe they left it out because they were afraid it made Jesus look bad. I mean, it looks a little bit like Jesus has lost his mojo, right? I mean, why didn't it work the first time? Why did he need two goes at it, right? And the answer, of course, is not that Jesus is, le- is losing his mojo. The answer is that Mark strategically includes this miracle here because he's, it's, a, it's a parable. It's a picture. Jesus is trying to show the disciples something in what is happening. If you look at the way Mark writes this, by the way, just as an aside, an incredibly sophisticated uh, book that we're reading, the book of Mark. Mark centers this whole narrative around sight and seeing. Uh, he, Jesus asked the man, do you see anything? Five verses. Verses before verse 22 that we just read, Tim, Tim preached last week and he read verse 17. Jesus asked the disciples, do you still not see? Verse 21, the verse that leads into the story we read today. Do you still not understand? Do you still not perceive, Jesus says? Mark centers everything in this narrative around seeing. In fact, between verse 23 and verse 25, eight different Greek words, all meaning sight or see, are used to, to make nine English references to seeing and sight. It's like the point Mark is trying to make is this is all about seeing clearly. And at first, the man sees in a fuzzy way. There's like some shape, but there's no real clarity. So Jesus touches him, and suddenly his eyes are opened. And he can see clearly. I mean, the man is healed with a touch, whether it's one touch or two touches, I don't think that matters. This guy was blind his whole life and suddenly he can see. I, I was, as I was preparing this message, I was just imagining what was that walk home like for this guy? I mean, did he run quickly to tell his family? Or did he just get sidetracked the whole way as he was distracted by seeing for the first time in his life things that he'd only dreamt of? I don't know. Bottom line was Jesus opened his eyes and he could see. But as I said, I believe this is included here to tell us more about the disciples. This is a miracle about how they were seeing. Jesus has been progressively opening their eyes to see who he is. They, like the blind man, can sort of half see, but it's blurry, who Jesus is. They've seen something of Jesus' greatness. They've seen something of Jesus' power. But they haven't yet grasped grasped who he is. They need a merciful, patient, second touch from Jesus. And to their credit, they've been pressing in. They've been following, they've been seeking, they're asking questions. But their own efforts can only get them so far. They need Christ to to open their eyes. Matthew's uh, account of this speaks of how God has shown this to you. They need Christ to open their eyes. And so let's look at how Jesus does this in verse 27. Jesus takes them on a walk. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. 
And on the way, he asked his disciples. It's about a 40-kilometer walk, a day's journey. Those guys would cover some distances as they walked, right? And uh, on, the, on the way, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, still others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. Uh, Lauren and I, but just over a year ago, were in Caesarea Philippi. We sat on the banks of the river, hopefully, maybe, somewhere near where Jesus sat with the disciples, and we read this account. Well, not, actually, not Mark's account, Matthew's account, the slightly longer, more detailed account of this very happening. It's a very remarkable place that Jesus would choose to open the disciples' eyes. I mean, you would have thought maybe Jerusalem, some other holy place to do this. Nothing remarkable about Caesarea Philippi. In fact, it's a non-Jewish region. It's a, it's a region that's known for worship of pagan gods, the, the, the pagan god Pan. Pan was like a half-man, half-goat-like god uh, from which we get the drawings of Lucifer, you know, with the horns, comes from Pan, many say. Uh, he, he, was, he was said to terrify the shepherds at night as he ran through the fields, from which we get the English word panic is from the, 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 the Greek god Pan, right? And there's a great cave where Pan is worshipped at the source of the river there, where we, get, we got to see this cave there. The cave is known as the Gates of Hades, right? This is a remarkable place of darkness and evil. You go back and read Matthew's account, we'll throw some light on what Jesus said to Peter about the Gates of Hades, not overcoming uh, the church, right, etc. And, and so it's in this very dark corner of the world, that the light of Jesus is first grasped. I think there's something significant there. And Jesus leads them along a process by asking them two questions. The first one he says is, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist had recently been beheaded. He was killed. And, um, and some thought that his spirit was kind of reincarnated into Jesus. John the Baptist was a powerful man, a well-thought-of man. And so maybe it looks like a compliment. Others say Elijah. I mean, that's a good guess. Elijah was one of the few prophets who could do miracles. And interestingly, Elijah was said, and the Bible records, he didn't die. He was swept up to heaven in a kind of whirlwind. So many were kind of waiting for this miracle-working prophet to return and to come and finish what he started. I mean, it's a good guess, Elijah, right? Still others say one of the prophets. All of these sound like a compliment, but actually they're the opposite. What's not being said says more about uh, what people believe than what is being said, right? In our modern version, you say, Jesus is a great moral teacher. Jesus is an amazing man. But what's not being said is, is more revealing than what is being said. Imagine I said to you today, who's Elon Musk? And you answered to me and you said, um, Elon Musk, oh, he's a man who was born in Gauteng. And, and you'd be right, that's true. But what you're not saying about Elon Musk says more about what you believe about him than what you do say. Does that make sense? Imagine you said to me, Luke, who is your wife? Who is, who is your wife? And my answer to you was, of all the women I know, she's one of them. <laughs> or I said to you, she's a woman I deeply respect. Right? I and mean, guess what's not happening in my household tonight, right? Right? Uh, <laughs> These things may be true, but, but what's not being said says more about what I believe than what is being said, right? That's exactly what's going on here. These are no compliment at all. And so what Jesus uh, does is Jesus turns the screws and he leads them along and he says, verse 29, and, and Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? 
And Peter answered, you're the Christ. Jesus opens our eyes to see him as the one, capital O, that he truly is. It's this revelation, it's this moment, eight and a half chapters, three years or so, been building to the point where finally someone can see it's you. You are the capital O one. The disciples had had enough time collecting data, that had enough time observing, evaluating, working it out. But now was the time to make a decision. Now was the time to go all in with the chips, to, to take a risk. And Peter says on behalf of the disciples, you're the one, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' surname. It wasn't Joseph and Mary Christ, right? Christ had a meaning. Christ means something when they answered. Christ means the anointed one sent from God to save us. The the Old Testament, uh, the belief of the Christ would come. He would be a king greater than David who would usher in the dawn of a new era in the world. And Peter is the first human being to recognize this. Taken three years, eight and a half chapters in the book of Mark, and finally Peter sees it. The whole of this book has been building up to this point. Mark has been taking us on a journey to realize, to teach us who Christ is. I'd love to try as we land our Mark series to kind of give us a whistle-stop tour of these 24 weeks as to what Mark has been doing and let you see how sophisticated this writing is. He's been building up to this moment of revelation over eight and a half chapters. Uh, he, he started off in chapter 1 verse 1 uh, by, by saying this, this is the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. His, his big idea, the big idea of Mark chapter 1 verse 1 is that Jesus Jesus is the Son of God come as our Savior King. And he makes this. It's like he throws the knockout punch in the first line of the book. And then what he does for the next eight and a half chapters is he's trying to prove that statement to us. This is the thesis statement of the book. And he's trying to prove it to us. And so this is how he does it. Are you ready to drink from a fire hydrant? A little bit more this morning. Okay, this is how Mark goes about it. In chapter 1, verse 1 to 8, he says, Don't you remember in the Old Testament, they said there was going to be a messenger, a herald, who would prepare the way for the Messiah. He says, Can't you see? It's John the baptizer. Uh, Then he continues, and and, and he speaks of Jesus' baptism. As Jesus is baptized, the heavens are opened. The audible voice of the Father is heard as he says, This is my Son. I don't know if that he had that much bass in his voice. Of whom I am well pleased, God said. And, and, and he has the affirmation of God. Mark says, can't you see? He's the son of God. Come as our savior king. Uh, he calls the disciples. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And men follow him. He has the approval of God, the approval of men, the messenger who comes before. All of these things, the stars are starting to align. He taught in the synagogue. And when he taught in the synagogue, people said they were astonished at his teaching. I'm quoting, for he taught as one with authority. He had authority to teach. When they brought people who were terrorized by demons, he cast them out. They said, even the evil spirits obey his orders, authority to teach, authority over evil. They brought before him a man who was carrying leprosy. And Jesus reaches out and touches the leper. In that moment, the uncleanness from the man comes onto Jesus, and the, and the cleanness from Jesus comes onto the leper. As Jesus cleans this man's life, he makes him He makes the unclean clean. Can't you see? He's the Son of God. Come as our Savior King. Mark is saying, they brought before him a man with broken limbs. 
Jesus had power and authority to heal the man, but he didn't stop there. He reached in and he touched his soul. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Authority to forgive sins. Can't you see? He's the savior king of the world. He hung out with uh, tax collectors and sinners because he came not for the healthy, but for the sick and the broken and the needy. He, he, he broke the religious rules in order to restore the hand of a crippled man and in the same moment gave him back his life. He he took ordinary men and he turned them, into, turned them into messengers who were deployed and sent out into the world with a message that literally turned the world upside down. Mark is saying, can't you see? He's the son of God come as our savior king. He taught about the kingdom of God in such a way that ordinary people could understand and they were invited to participate in. He had such peace that he could sleep in the middle of a boat in the middle of the storm. And then such power that upon waking, he could still it. Can't you see? He's the son of God. Come as our savior king. He delivered a man overcome by the power of darkness. And in that same moment, he sent him out as a messenger of the light. Even instinctually, when when when. People who were undeserving touched Jesus. Power flowed from him and he, he, he cleaned their lives. He made them whole. He healed them and he gave them back their lives and even their dignity with kingly compassion to heal. He was rejected in his hometown. He troubled the conscience of the nation's king. In contrast to the evil king, Jesus provided abundantly, supernaturally, miraculously for his followers as he fed them. When his followers were in danger, he went out to meet them in the middle of the crisis. And he stilled their storm from within the crisis. In a world fixated with skin-deep religion, he diagnosed the heart of the problem. That evil is not just something that can be washed away from our hands but something that needs to be healed deep within every one of our hearts. Can't you see Mark is saying, he's the son of God, come as our savior king. With kingly authority, he broke all the rules to heal the child of an outsider, hinting at this message he carries. It's not just for insiders, but through insiders, it's gonna go to the whole world. Mark is saying, can't you see, he's the son of God, come as our savior king. And after all of this, he says in verse 12, 21 to the disciples, do you still not understand? Do you still not perceive? And in patience and in mercy, God opens their eyes today in the story we've read. Jesus opens our eyes to see him as the one he truly is. Jesus never self-discloses. He doesn't tell them. He opens their eyes so that they can see for themselves. And actually, their journey of discovery is only beginning. It's like this journey of discovering that comes to the moment. Wow, it's you. You're the one. But it's only beginning because their their understanding of what the one was going to do was so different than what Christ actually came to do. And it's like they've you think they've arrived at Mount Everest. No, they've just arrived at base camp now. Now they begin the journey of discovering as to what the, the Messiah came to do. They thought he came to defeat the Romans. Jesus said, I came to die on a cross in order to restore the world to me. But we must land this morning. And so let's land with the most foundational question. Who do you say that Jesus is? I don't mean like, like history or the history of you, like a, the, the right answer part of you. At the core of your being, 
whether you're 14, 40, a whole lot more, a whole lot less, the core of who you are, who do you say that Jesus is? Is Jesus just one of many lights that you use in your life to see? Or is he the light by which you see and perceive everything else that is happening around you? Can you see Jesus for who he really is? How do you know? Well, the answer I put to you today is can you really trust him? Can you really trust him? Do you, do you really believe that Jesus has got 2021 covered? You covered. Can you really trust him? Can you follow his gospel call on your life? Do you recognize that he came to die to save you and others? And join him in living out this gospel mission in the world? Or or is faith going to remain kind of this like one part of our lives rather than the mission for which we've been placed here? Who do you say that Jesus is? Can you trust in his sufficiency? I think the best way to land this time is actually just some personal reflection and song. Can I invite you guys to come up and to lead us in a second mark and shape? But I'd love to just give you some moment, a moment of time with Jesus. I mean, this is the culmination of 24 weeks we've been preaching through this book, the revelation of who Christ is. And I want to ask you that question. So we've worked to get to this point. Who is Christ to you? Is he the light or a light? And what does it look like to trust him with everything in your life? In your career, in your family, in South Africa. What does it look like to trust Jesus, to live for the gospel? Let's stand up and let's close our eyes and let's just take some time to do business with Jesus. While we were worshipping, I had a strange picture. Just keep your eyes closed. I'd just love to just share this picture. It's like, um, imagine a family who went on a holiday. And the idea was like, our bags are packed. We're going on a holiday, right? And then some or other tragedy. Maybe it was like a tsunami or something happened. And the nature of the holiday changed. The, the original plan was shifted entirely. And now it's become a rescue mission. something of our moment on earth you know the moment sin entered in Genesis 3 came to this you know there was this blissful existence everything was perfect and then this, this, this horrific tragedy happened 
And the nature of our experience on earth got radically changed. It's not like we're going to just go back to a holiday or something, you know. This is it. It's, it's rescue mission now. Something has happened. Evil has come into the world. You and I are no longer bags packed ready for our holiday. Let's try and get back to the beach. It's join Christ on the gospel mission. I'm so grateful that the world is walking towards a cure for COVID. But let me tell you to the core of my being, the cure for COVID is nowhere near as significant as the gospel, which is the cure for the deepest virus of the human being, that of sin. And you and I carry that cure with us every single day. And Jesus says to you today, who do you say that I am? What does it look like to live for me in this life? This side of heaven is never going to go back to holiday. It's this rescue mission that Jesus is sweeping us up into. Common Ground South Penn, we have been swept up into Jesus' rescue mission for the world. But you've got to settle in your heart today again. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he the one? Is he the son of God? came on a rescue mission as our Savior King. The answer to the most fundamental question of all of life. Does He really have you covered? Yes, you can trust Him. And will you join Him in this rescue mission? Will you make it? The the purpose of your life. Let it infuse how you do business. Let it infuse how you do family. Let it infuse how you do relationships. Jesus, I'm joining you on mission in this world. You're the son of God. Come as our savior king. the band lead us in song now and invite you just to pray and to do business with Jesus.